Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. I want to start our Bible study out this morning with this thought. The world before Christ, if you think about it, was a world without hospitals, a world without charity, and a world without respect to the sanctity of life. Well, Ben, how so? Well, think about this. Hospitals were an innovation of Christianity. Hence, the healing symbol of a cross represents hospitals, or at least it used to. The nursing profession was founded by Christians such as Florence Nightingale out of devotion to Christ. We forget about that. One of history's greatest humanitarian movements, the International Red Cross, was founded by Christians in response to the scriptural injunctions to care for the sick and the suffering. Christians such as Dr. Louis Pasteur, have fueled some of the greatest practical advances in medicine. Pasteur has probably saved more lives than any other individual in history through his intentions. And I think about time. I think about time. What about time? You realize that my Jesus, Jesus Christ, changed the world forever. When he was born, he transformed the way way we measure time, the very way we measure time. He turned aside the river of ages and lifted centuries off their hinges. His birthday, his incarnation, touched and transformed time. Well, how so? Well, the whole world now counts time, B.C., before Christ. Now, don't let him change that. If you go to Israel today, it says B.C.E., before common area. No, 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 it was before Christ. And now A.D., Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. So right now we are in 2022 A.D., in the year of our Lord. Yes! Why? Because Jesus Christ is the central figure of history. More books have been written about Jesus than any other person in history. Well, Pastor, what's your point? What's your point? Let me say this. You ready? And this is going to be the theme and the topic and the foundation of our study. Jesus impacted everyone. Jesus impacted everyone. Listen to me. He was for everybody. There wasn't one person while Jesus was on the earth that he did not help or minister or was open to. Jesus was not a rich man's God, nor was he a poor man's God. Jesus impacted everyone. And chapter 19 actually starts off with Jesus impacting a fella by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. Now, what do you know about Zacchaeus? Well, I know this. I know he was a small guy. He was a little dude. Much, much more. Much, much more. Let me, let me recant the story. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. Let's just recap it. It says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Okay, so Jesus is just walking through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was, notice what he was, he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. Very, very important. Okay, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. Now, I kind of went on uh, Google this morning and I said, well, how big was Zacchaeus? And and most scholars kind of thought he was about 4'10", about 4'10". So he wasn't like this. You understand. He was about 4'10", but he couldn't see over the crowd. Okay, he couldn't see over the crowd. And so what happens is that is that there comes Jesus and there's Jesus. And and, and Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So you understand his reputation was not good. 
The people did not like him. And you guys understand why. Because tax collectors, if you will, were hated by the Jewish community. They often took advantage, and the Bible seems to indicate that maybe Zacchaeus did a little bit, right? I mean, I can understand being short and going up to somebody and saying, okay, you can give me your taxes. Well, who are you? Well, I'm going to, and he would actually probably overtax somebody. He probably would, 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 he asserted his authority, even though he was four foot ten. But he was rich. He was rich. Now, the story goes is that this dude wanted to see Jesus. So remember what happens. He climbs on a what? A sycamore tree. He climbs up a tree. Now, here's a prominent guy, four foot ten. Did I tell you he was four foot ten? And he climbs a tree. Now, everybody would have went, whoa. I mean, it would have been weird, just, but he wants to see Jesus. And what I love about this and, and, and what we need to take into this is that, is that we have to have a little bit more of that Zacchaeus spirit when we want to see Jesus. And we don't care what people think. I want to see Jesus. I want to see. Could you imagine? Could you imagine how many people were dignified? And they were, they, I would not climb a tree. Are you kidding me? And if Jesus wants to see me, he'll see me. For I'm very popular, I'm very rich. How many people missed Jesus because of that pride in their heart? And you're here and you're going, well, that's not, that's not me, but we do that the same way. We kind of go, well, I may not be rich, but hey, if God's going to come after me, he should come after me. That's, no, I, we're missing Jesus. So the guy climbs up the tree. Do you remember? He's looking down, and I love this. All my Jesus did is look up. Hey, it's Jesus. And what is You guys remember the story. He says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. Whoa. Now, you've you got to understand, all the snoopity snoops that are following Jesus are looking at him going, oh. First of all, that's not dignified that Zacchaeus would climb a tree, but it's also not dignified that my Jesus would eat with a tax collector. Aren't you glad Jesus eats with tax collectors? I am so glad that he eats. Zacchaeus, yes, sir. Fire up the barbecue grill. We're coming to your house. So they go to the house, right? And I don't know what happened. Scripture doesn't say, but somewhere in the midst of this, Zacchaeus gets saved. I bet Jesus was just speaking to him. I bet there was such a connection that Zacchaeus went, oh, why? Did I tell you that Jesus impacts everyone? He impacts everybody he meets. And so, and so the scripture says, guys, the encounter was incredible. How so? In verses 9 and 10, it says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Now, Mrs. Zacchaeus is going, are you, you did what? I don't know if there was a Mrs. Zacchaeus. I'm just. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Do you see what he's doing? That is bona fide repentance. Guys, here's what he's saying. Kevin, you're here. Okay, Kevin, guess what? Dude, I stole 20 bucks from you from taxes the other day. I got saved. I'm going to give him 100. I'm going to restore for. Do you understand that? That's hard for us to do. But but Jesus impacted him. Jesus touched his heart so much so he's going to go like that. You guys go, "Wait a minute, but he was a chief tax collector." Amen. So what does that mean? That means he stole probably a lot of money. Did I mention that he was small? So he had to assert his authority. He had to be like, can you imagine? Can you imagine going up to somebody and going, um, <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Listen, I am the chief tax collector. And they sent me to collect this bill. It was $40, but because you laughed at me and you called me shorty, it's now 120 And they had to pay it. You understand that? They had to pay it. 
But now he's saved. You understand, he's saved. Okay? And it says, and it says, And the Lord said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come, for what? To seek and save that which was lost. Right? So, what an impact. What an impact. Why? Well, blessed is he who comes. It's my Jesus. Listen to me. My Jesus should have impacted your life. That's what he does. He impacts our life. Guys, he came into my life at 17 years old, and he turned everything around. He changed me. And thank God he did. Well, I was religious. Not anymore. Now I have a relationship. You have a relationship. I have a relationship with God. The friends around me, my family around me, couldn't understand. Do you remember when they didn't understand? They said, what did you do? I don't know. I gave my life to the Lord. You did what? And they couldn't understand it. Why? Because you couldn't understand it. All you knew is you were different. I'm different. I'm different. I'm different. I'm different. Right? Come on. Does anybody different? Because you used to want to choke somebody, and now you want to hug them. Okay? I just wanted to... And now you're like, come here. That has to be Jesus. Okay? You wanted to pull him by the collar? Now you want to... Come here. Come here. That's God. That's God. Jesus impacts everybody. Now, because of this, I bet Zacchaeus is in heaven. Now, I guess my question would be, is he short in heaven? Oh, we'd have to recognize him, right? Right? We'd go up and he'd be like, hey, I'm Zacchaeus. No, you're not. But maybe we're all different in heaven, right? How many of you are looking forward to your glorified body in heaven? <laughs> all of you. You're like, yes. Yes. I am so looking forward to my glorified body in heaven. We went to a trampoline park um, yesterday, and um, my body reminded me I'm not a young man anymore. And what'd you do? I just jumped on a trampoline, man. First few jumps, I was dizzy. I was like, whoa. Whew. Okay. Okay. But I want to take a moment this morning, guys, and I want us to connect with the crowd. Okay? Because there's a crowd here. Look at verse 11. Same passage. It says, now, when they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. If you're an underliner, underline that right there. Here's why. Because he's now left Jericho. He's hung out with Zacchaeus. They've had great filet mignon. Zacchaeus is saved. Jesus keeps walking, and there's a crowd following. You guys understand? There's a crowd following. There's a crowd following, and it says this. And he says, as he's coming near to Jerusalem, guess what? It says they. Everybody say they. Let's say it again. Well, they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. You go, okay. So what I want you to do is connect with these guys. Why? Well, notice the crowd, as well as the disciples, thought the kingdom of God would appear as soon as he entered Jerusalem. So if we're walking and we're talking, we're going, oh, I can't wait to get to Jerusalem. Wow, it's going to be great. He's going to, well, what, what were they? Well, remember in our Matthew study, do you recall? Peter had been taught his whole life that the Messiah was going into Jerusalem to rule the world. And so they wanted to be, when Jesus goes, hey, follow me, they're like, yes, because we're going to sit and we're going to rule the world. He's the Messiah. I'm going to sit next to him. Let's go. That's what they thought. And the crowd was like, hey, we're disciples too. And so here's what they're doing. They're going into, they're going to rule the world. And his followers said right here, guys, that the kingdom he thought was going to just appear immediately. And Peter, as well as all of these, expected, expected Jesus to overthrow Rome. Set up his kingdom, and it was going to be glorious. It was going to be glorious. Can you imagine? I want you for one moment to sit here and realize what's going on. Why? 
Many people expected that, but here's what I'm here's here's where I want to go. What happens, church, when we expect something of the Lord and it doesn't come to pass as we expected? What happens? You go, okay, well, uh, uh, um, what happens in our heart? That's what's key. Let me give you two scenarios. Number one, you are growing and maturing, and when something that you expect doesn't happen, you didn't get the promotion, you didn't get the job, you didn't get the house, you didn't get whatever, you didn't get the wife, you didn't, I mean, we could just, all of this stuff, when we, Lord, I, I thought this was, I thought this was a good thing, I really, I prayed and 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 it didn't, if you're mature, here's what's going to happen, church, you'll either accept that God is in control of your life and he has your best intentions in your, in his heart, you go, Amen. Amen. I mean, that's really how we need to be. It has worked amazing in my life. I, listen, I had a girlfriend who I thought I was going to marry way before I met Nathalie. And the Lord said, no, 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 that's not the one for you. And I said, yes, it is. And he said, no, 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 no. I have someone better who's going to walk with you in ministry. She's drop-dead gorgeous to me. You understand? Now, when we expect something and it doesn't happen, we either go, okay, Lord. And I just, I love the fact, I'm like, Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. 35 years later, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But if, if we're not mature, and we don't, and we expect something and the Lord doesn't do it, here's what happens. We get angry and we turn on him in a fit of rage. That's what happens, guys. That's, that's where a lot of the crowd, not all of them, but a lot of the crowd is going to turn and get into the mob rules and say, no, no, he has to die because he promised he was going to wait. He's a fake. He's a phony. And, and instead of going, well, well I, don't under, I don't understand it right now, but God, you're in control. Can we say that together? I don't understand this right now, but God, you're in control. Why is that important? Because I don't want to be the crowd going, you're a phony, God. I don't believe you. Crucify him. Let's be done with this guy. Just because we don't understand and you have not been given the full picture. Don't turn your back on Jesus. This is what he's saying right here. And listen, this is more common than you think. Why? Because the crowd who are praising Jesus today, once they realize what's happening with the Roman soldiers, are going to be scattered and bewildered in just a few days. Okay? Can you imagine this very crowd in the church is going to be going, yeah, we're going to, we're going to party today, but in a few days, hey, where's Rosa? Have you seen Rosa? No, I haven't heard from Rosa. She won't answer her texts. Oh, man. Oh, wow. And Delilah? No, I haven't. And we're all scattered. This is what's happening. You got to remember and keep in mind what the crowd was thinking. Kingdom's going to appear. He's going to, and and can we not understand when we're frustrated? The the Jewish people were frustrated with the Roman government that they wanted him. They wanted Rome overturned. They wanted their own government. They wanted to be ruled. Let me. Dare I even say they wanted things the way they were, and Rome was not having it. And I imagine. If we were in that crowd, I imagine if we'd be mum, murmuring and whispering together, where's the soldiers? Where's the angels? Is anybody? I thought he was going to. I'm a little frustrated because I thought. And then you turn and you sort of look at the disciples, right? And you're like, these guys are not going to fight Roman soldiers. They're fighting amongst themselves. I'm going to be the greatest. No, I'm going to be the greatest. No, you're going to be the greatest. Mom, help me. You guys know what I'm saying? 
Where's your warriors? Let's go. Let's go. Can you feel the vibe? You go, what do you mean? The people are excited. The Messiah is here. This is him. The disciples are convinced even though, even though Jesus told them he was going to die for the sins of the world. They didn't hear that part. The disciples have what a lot of us have. You go, what's that? It's selective hearing syndrome. Selective hearing syndrome. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they didn't hear it. There's things I don't want to hear. But Jesus told them, my kingdom is going to come about a different way. Now, right now, they're going, we should have listened. We should have listened. That's where we pick up our story, guys. Chapter 19, verse 28, it starts off like this. And when he had said this, he went ahead and going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so where is he going, guys? Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he knew, when he drew near Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite of you. Where you enter, you'll find a colt tied, which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But they were loosening the colt. The owner said to them, why are you loosening that colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Now, your attention, please. At first glance, we need to notice that the two disciples simply went into the village and find the donkeys and untie them. Most commentaries suggest, and you need to know this, that this was actually prearranged in secret. You understand that, that the Lord had already talked to them in secret. He did not want to arouse the Jewish leaders. He knew these guys were constantly following him, constantly scrutinizing him, looking at him, waiting for him to make a mistake, always looking to find out where he's going to fall. And, and so he went quietly. He says, okay, okay, here's the deal. Go, go do this. The Lord has need of this. It makes you kind of wonder, right? As a matter of fact, I told uh, Haas the other day that the Lord needed something of his and Haas didn't budge. He called my bluff. Literally, I text Hodge, said, the Lord has need of this. And he's like, no, I don't think so. I must have, I should have prearranged it just a little bit. Thanks a lot, Haas. The Lord needs it. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus and the disciples are on the Mount of Olives and near a couple of towns called Bethpage. If you have a pencil handy, it's uh, House of Figs. And Bethany is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are from. Okay, when we go to Israel, they never take us to Bethany. We go up to the Mount of Olives, but I really want to see Bethany. I really want to see, I'd like to go up there and, and, and see that. It's probably just a small town, but that's where he's coming from. He's going into Jerusalem. He tells the fellows, hey, go, go, go there. Now, other commentators say there were two donkeys, and they bring one, and, and, and so they bring it. It's probably prearranged. Nobody's, nobody's the wiser. There's looking. And it says in verse 35, and they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And this is so cool. Here's this little donkey being used by God in the flesh, first time ever. I don't know what it's like in donkey land, but if they were to talk to each other, they would be going, wow, who's ridden you? Well, I've had, I've had so-and-so ride me. Well, I've had so, well, I just had a kid ride me. I've had God ride me. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You go, no, yeah, me either. So let's, let's go on. But what we need to remember, church, is this scene actually reflects Zechariah's image of the king triumphantly coming into Jerusalem from battle. Jot this down. It's Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and it says this. He writes, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. 
Why? Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Your attention, please. Most kings didn't ride on a donkey. They rode on a stallion. They came in triumphantly. What does this tell you about my Jesus? What does it tell you? It was prophesied that he was going to come in. Your king. Your king. Man's ways is not God's ways. Our pride is not God's pride. He comes in and says, hey, here he's going to come to you. Here's going to be your king. And what I don't understand is the religious people of the day should have been looking at Zechariah 9.9 and waiting for him to come. The problem is, is they're caught up and, oh, well, the Messiah is going to come and he should be coming on a white stallion and he's going to have a crown and he's going to have a horde of warriors and Rome is going down. Here we go. And that didn't happen. That's your king? Right? That's your king? You realize that a king would have the finest of clothing, if you will, put on a horse. Purple. Beautiful. But my Jesus, the people took off their cloaks and their clothes, if you will, their own, and they put it so Jesus could sit on. When he rode into Jerusalem, he was fulfilling Zechariah 9 9. And here he declares himself to be king of the Jews. The problem was, guess what? When they saw that, he also aroused the concern of the religious leaders so that they were forced to act. All of a sudden, the guys were like, wait, 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 wait. And they're upset. Why? Because they realize this is Zechariah 9.9, and he's claiming to be king, right? Why? You've got to understand that throughout the centuries, there's always been false messiahs. And they're like, oh, no, he can't do that. How dare them? And so it aroused them. So much so, it tells us in John chapter 12, verse 19, it says, Then the Pharisees said to one another, There is nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the parade in town, or you're thinking it's a parade, and it's not. It's the crowd waving palm branches today, and, and, and there's Jesus on a donkey. The lowliest of animals. Here is God in the flesh giving us one of the greatest examples for our lives to walk humbly, to be broken, not to think of ourselves better than anybody else, but to walk and say, Lord, that's what, this is the greatest example. This is how he went into Jerusalem. But when he comes back again, it's not going to be like this, is it? I'm not talking about the rapture because he's not coming to earth. When we go, we go be with him. But what I'm talking about to say, he's going to be coming on a horse and we're going to be behind him. Okay? We're all going to have our horses going, let's go, Jesus. And he's going to come and he's going to rule and reign like he was supposed to. But right now, right now, right now it's a little different. Okay, okay. Okay. Now, the Pharisees, what did they want to do? They wanted to arrest him. They wanted him out. People are following him. People are following him. (sighs) Let me take a sidestep here for just a second, because I want to, to make sure that you're well informed. You go, what's that? Um... It seems like the Bible gives us great indications of things that have happened and things that might happen. Does that make sense? Like, for example, um, when we did our prophecy update, we discussed oil. 
we, dis we discussed gas. Okay? And I thought that was one of the biggest major reasons why Russia would be pulled into a war with a coalition, Ukraine and Poland and a few others, be pulled into a war against Israel. I thought it was oil. But then we find out in these last few days that there is going to be a food shortage. And when I say food shortage, guys, I don't mean that you'll go to Walmart and you won't be able to find. Now, you'll have that. There'll, there'll be certain shelves that won't be packed. You guys can see that. They're not, they're not dipped in any way, okay? But when we were in Israel, our tour guide, Hila, would often say, how much food Israel is producing. Like they're growing watermelons and bananas in the desert. They know how to do it. They're, they're growing more food than they can export. You understand that, right? So I found out through another pastor that the food shortage is actually going to come not so much here, quote unquote, but in Africa, the Middle East, and South America. And I thought, the Bible speaks of 13 major famines in the Bible. And I wonder if that is point number two on why the people of the world are going to attack Israel. Not only for gas, but for... Okay, so help me out, guys. Help me out. Like, I've taken a sidestep from here, but help me out for just a second. Um, can we live without gas? Can we live without food? Exactly. So if it's a combination, then you can see prophecy unfolding right before your eyes. You can see that you're like, oh, wow. Wow. It was likened to this. The curtain is here and the stage is being set for the play. Once the curtain opens, it's go time. And you guys ever been to a play where you're waiting? Right? You're waiting. Now, I'm, talk I'm not talking about a movie where, they, where they're showing you go get popcorn and, and go get... Co I'm not talking about... A, I'm talking about a play where the, where the curtain's there and you can hear the music and you can hear the band warming up and the orchestra and you're just like, oh, it's almost time. It's almost time. And then all of a sudden, with that anticipation, the lights go dim and, and the curtain opens. And there you go. Wow. That's what's happening. And we're sitting in the, we're, we're in the audience and we're going like this. Okay, okay. And we can hear the music, we hear the, and you can hear the, you know, they're getting ready, and, and you can hear a little rustling behind the sage, and you're like, oh, okay, okay, this is it. And it's only a few more minutes. It's only a few more minutes. Now, I know what you're thinking, because if you're like me, you're thinking, well, Pastor, why hasn't he come yet? I mean, let's get this show on the road, because he's compassionate, and he wants to see everyone saved. We might call it impatience. He's going, no, I want to see it saved. And I thank God that he didn't come in 1948, right after Israel became a nation. Well, I wasn't born anyway, so let me just, that, that was a wrong illustration. Whenever, like, you guys get the point. Thank God he didn't come right before we got saved, because then we wouldn't be saved. But, but he's going to come, and we got to do our very best. So the Pharisees in our text, they wanted to arrest him. But see, God had already ordained his son to die as the Lamb of God on Passover. They wanted to arrest him after Passover. So they're like, let's wait. Let's wait until this is all over. And God's like, no. So picture the Pharisees today. And here comes Jesus. And they're like, oh, we got to do something. We got to do something. Stop. We got to stop them. Okay. Well, we can't do anything now. When's Passover? Passover's next week. Okay. So right on, so Sunday morning, guess what? And if we got a, we've got a few zealous Pharisees, we might do it Saturday night late, but we're going to get them. And the Lord's like, no, we're going to do this. Look at verse 36. And as Jesus went, many spread their clothes on the road as well. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude and the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. Here's what they're saying. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory to the highest. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, Tamri will remember this. Tamri, you remember being on the Mount of Olives? It was a very deep descent, and I don't, I think it's changed a lot. I don't think Jesus rode down the donkey like this, you know, because it is a really steep, and if it's wet, we had a lot of people fall. So I think it, it, they've built it up and they've, they've, they've done a lot of stuff, but it's a, he's coming in and people are rejoicing. Notice what it says, guys. Come on. They're, they're what? They began to rejoice and praise God in a loud voice. Can I get an amen? amen. No, no, let's do it like them. Here comes Jesus. Amen. Okay, you, let's go, guys. Let me read it again. And the disciples and then the multitude of them began to rejoice and praise God with a loud there you go. They're like, yes, Lord, this is so good. And they're saying, bless is the king. Can you imagine? They're excited. They're, ooh, this is good. This is good. And they're saying, oh, this is it. Our Messiah is coming. Everything is going to change. Everything is going to change. This is good. Now we have to do some work. And you go, Why? Because I want you to grasp a couple of operative words there. You go, what are they? If you have a pencil handy, you can underline many in verse 36 and multitude in verse 37. And you go, why? Because we have the crowd, many in the multitude. What are they doing? They're spreading their clothes. They're waving palm branches, guys. Some of them are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're, re- they're really worshiping with a loud voice. Everyone in Jerusalem, and if you've been to the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives sits here, Jerusalem sits there. There's a valley that goes in there, and I bet it just exploded with echoing. Hosanna! Hosanna! And I mean, they're singing. They're, can you imagine? This is the crowd. This is the crowd. Okay? But I started to notice something very interesting here that I think will help us. And you go, what's that? I, I want you to note three special groups in the Passover crowd. Three of them. The Word of God tells us. You go, why? Well, first of all, you can jot this down. These were the native Judeans were there. The native Judeans, okay? J-U-D-E-A-N-S. Now, these guys were suspicious of Jesus. How so? Well, it was a specific group known as the Judeans, which is to say those associated with the economic and political system of one part of the ancient Israel, Judea, which was centered in Jerusalem, which were most consistently hostile to Jesus. Why? They were more economically centralized, more politically centralized higher taxed economic regime. These were the ones who followed or were part of that crowd. You go, well, like what? Well, before we get to it, let me give you the second group. So you have the native Judeans, and then it says, then you have visitors from outside Judea who didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know who Jesus was. They're coming in for Passover. They hadn't heard about Jesus. They hadn't seen the miracles. They just didn't know him. They didn't know him. So they're walking in going, why is that dude riding on a donkey? That's weird. Well, honey, let's go, let's get, let's make sure we have our sacrifices. This is going to be great. We're going to spend a week in Jerusalem. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Matthew chapter 21, verse 10 and 11 says this. And when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. So a lot of people are like, who's this? What's that? What's going on? Who's this? It's Jesus. Okay. Okay. And then you had a third group. Okay, so you had the native Judeans. you You had the second group. They didn't know who Jesus was. Then you had a third group. And this was the crowd from Judea. And these were the people who had actually seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. So you had those crowds going, wow. Hey, if Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can surely overthrow Rome. Let's go. So you've got three, you understand, it's a mixed multitude of people in the crowd. 
Did I mention it's a mixed multitude of people in the crowd? You go, yes, you did. Okay, why? 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 Well, before that, let me back up, because I always get ahead of myself, but let me back up, because we see the crowd, and in John chapter 12, 17 and 18, it says, therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they had heard they had done the sign. So now you've got followers. you got followers. Okay? Now, since Jesus impacted everyone he met, I want to take a moment to look at the crowds just a little bit deeper. Why? Because I think we notice the same people in our day. You go, really? How so? Well, I think you have people today who are suspicious of Jesus. Even now. You see, they've heard of him. They might have even researched him. Because the word suspicious, I find it interesting, it says having or showing cautious distrust of someone. Oh, I don't know. And listen, listen. Go back to your BC days. Before you met Christ. How many of you were suspicious, a little bit distraught? I don't know about that Jesus. The first time somebody told you about the Lord, you went, whoa. I don't know. This is weird. You see, I thought I could get to heaven on my religion because my religion taught that once you were baptized, you were already in. And so when now I'm hearing about Jesus, I was, well, I was part of this crowd. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. But but even take it a step further. You go, why? Well, today we find people who are cautious when it comes to Jesus. Here's why. Because I was thinking of the native Judeans, and I was thinking, why were they so suspicious? Well, they're in, a tire, they're in a higher tax bracket. They're a little bit more rich, a little bit more influential. And you're like, yeah. And so I was thinking about them, and I thought a lot of them would say, I don't know about this Jesus, because why? Well, he's going to make me change. I'm going to have to give up my possessions I'll have to give up my wealth to follow him. You go, how do you know? Part of this, guys, in your mind, ding, 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 think about the rich young ruler. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus, and the rich young ruler comes in, and he was rich, and he was young, and he was a ruler, and what did he say? He said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you guys know the story, right? He says, keep all the commandments. And he says, done that. What else? He says, sell your stuff, give your money to the poor, and come follow me. Say what? Sell your stuff, and my stuff. Give the money to the poor, and then be my disciple. You know what the Bible says? The rich young dealer went away sad. He was sorrowful. He's like, And I think that represents a lot of people today. They're afraid that they're going to have to, what? They're going to have to give up everything. I was thinking a lot of, a lot of actors and actresses in Hollywood and Wall Street and, and, and a lot of them, guys, a lot of them are like, no, 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 they, they don't even acknowledge my Jesus. Why? Well, if you get saved, first of all, you're, you're out. You'll never work again. And I think about these people. And I think about people who have been so blessed monetarily and so blessed that that. The problem is, is they don't think they need Jesus. And yet, they're the ones who need Jesus all the more. Do you guys remember the fellow who God had blessed so much and he said, I guess I'm going to build bigger barns? And he says, you fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. And there's not a one of us, church, listen to me, there's not a one of us that can take it with us. There's not a one. 
So if God blesses you, he blesses you so that you can be a blessing to others. It really is. Because at the end of the day, we're not getting out of here with, with, with anything. I think that's a lot of the crowd. Wait a minute. They're hostile. They don't understand. They're, they're what? Ooh. But then we have this, the second group, guys, and, and these are people who are outside the family of God. They don't know. Who is this, Jesus? And I thought, unfortunately, there are many people like that today who don't know my Jesus. They don't know my Jesus. And here's, here's a little scary part. Listen to me. Many have a church background, but the connection between their mind and their heart isn't there. What do you mean? They have a lot of knowledge about God, but they don't know God. So you have this group within a group, right? You have this group that goes, I don't know anything about Jesus, and we meet those. They don't know anything about Jesus. And they get saved, and you start talking to them about Noah and the ark, and you start talking to them. They're like, I don't know, David and Goliath, I don't know. They have no clue about any of this. But then you have those who have a church background. Unfortunately, they know a lot about Jesus, but the power and the impact and the obedience and the humility and the grace and the compassion isn't there. You see, they can quote scriptures. They need to know my Jesus. They need to know my Jesus. You go, well, Ben, what's the application for us? Listen, if you're here today and you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus, he has called us today on this Palm Sunday to minister to both. He ministered to both. Okay, both sets of people. Money, fame, fortune, power don't mean anything if you were to die without Christ. It doesn't mean anything. Mark 8 and 36 says this, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Right now, listen to me, right now, if you have Jesus in your heart, in your heart, doesn't matter what the bank says. Doesn't matter what you owe. Doesn't matter any of the... You know what? If you have, you're, you're really satisfied. Can I get an amen? amen? That's really... I mean, you're like... If you have Jesus... And I'm talking about that. Just the satisfaction of going... <sighs> yeah. We're called to minister to both guys. Why? Because God is making an impact on those who don't know Jesus yet. Listen to this. Many, everybody say many, are coming to know the Lord right now. I did a research. I typed in statistically how many people are coming to know the Lord. And you realize that more people are searching for Jesus because of the pandemic because of the whole coronavirus, more people are, are doing Google searches. They're more searching for Jesus right now. And so my God took something that the enemy meant for evil, and he's turning it around so people can get saved. Aren't you glad he's done that with our lives? What the enemy meant for evil, God is taking it, and he's using it for the good. He's using it so people can get saved. You go, Ben, nobody's gotten saved. Nobody, I've never led anyone to Jesus. What are you talking about? I'm talking about your life. The way you live, the way you behave, how you conduct yourself, how you minister, how you give, how you love. That's what he's talking about. That's what he talks about. Well, it goes on. Notice verse 39. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Notice what he's saying, right? The Pharisees recognize the symbolism. How so? Well, again, as Jesus is walking in, they know Zechariah 9.9 and they're like, stop it. Tell him to be quiet. This is, no, he's not the Messiah. And Jesus says, dude, even if they didn't say anything, the very rocks would praise me. And that's the same for us, is it not? If we don't do it, listen, we get the privilege to praise him. We get the privilege. And if we don't, the very rocks cry out. 
And I think, wow, wow. He's actually alluding to Habakkuk 2.11 and the reply to the Pharisees, he accepts the people's praises. You understand that? Well, pastor, Jesus never said he was God. No, no, no. Many times he's going, yes, yes. If an angel, and they bowed down to an angel, what would the angel, no, 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 get up. Don't, don't praise me. Don't praise me. But Jesus says, okay. Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are God. You are king. Amen. 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 Let me say this to you, church. In these last days, don't keep silent. Don't keep silent. Tell your story. Share Jesus. Invite. Praise so people can see Jesus. Could we be a little bit crazy for Jesus? You go, what do you mean? Man, be praising him in your car, and then you turn over, and they're looking at you, and you're like this. Right? And they're just like, whoa. Oh, hey, I'm just praising the Lord. He's coming back soon. Have a good day. I think so. I think so. Listen, you're going to tell people about Jesus and they're going to turn on you and they're going to cuss you and they're going to be mean to you. That's okay. That's, that's all right. That's the other crowd. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, don't tell me about Jesus. I'll have to change. I'll have to change. And I like my lifestyle. No, okay. No, no, no. Well, you keep your Jesus here. Just keep telling them. Hey. Did you hear about what's going on? Yeah, world's crazy. Hey, can I tell you about my Jesus? He's coming back soon. What do you mean you're Jesus? I grew up I grew up going to church. I never heard that before. Yeah, well let's let's sit down, let's have coffee. Let me let me just share with you. If we don't, the very rocks are gonna cry out. Now, as he drew near, okay, the city, notice he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even though especially this is the day the things that that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in at every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The people are rejoicing, and my Jesus is weeping. Can I tell you, can I tell you that his word is true? And if he's telling us that Ezekiel 38 and 39 have not happened, they have not happened, but they're going to happen. He told the, he told Jerusalem, he's like, he's crying, he's going, man. And in 70 AD, Titus Aspasian comes in and he wipes out and levels all of Jerusalem. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, If Jesus said it was true, it's true. And if he's saying he's coming back for us, he's coming back for us. And if he's saying salvation is a personal choice where we have to move forward and say, yes, I believe, I've got to be saved, I want to be in the family of God, then that's true. Because Romans says if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, we'll be saved. That has to be true. That has to be true. As he thought of the terrible judgments that would come to his people, Jesus wept over the city. He just wept. I wonder how many of his disciples would have went, um, go ask him what's wrong. <laughs> we're, pra- we're praising him. We're feathers, feathers. We're supposed to take over Israel. What's, uh, Rome, what's, he's crying. Go ask him. I'm not going to ask him. You ask him. I don't know. He's just weeping because he knows the judgment. He knows the judgment. I believe it'd be a little bit awkward. Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed he who come. And, and then here Jesus is just weeping. And many people that day, probably what, 30 years later? Oh, I remember when Jesus said that. It's going down. 
in the news today, Titus Despasian is running, you know, and I mean, and you're just like, and then when they said, what did he say? Not one rock will be what? Do you guys remember what he said? Not one rock. When Titus Aspasian destroyed Jerusalem, all the gold from the temple melted, and they were turning over rocks to get the gold. So you had people all over, oh, looking for gold. And he was, and he was correct. And he was correct. So that's Sunday night. Now we go to Monday, real quick, guys. We're almost done. Then he went into the temple. This is you guys can write in your Bible Monday morning. Then he went to the temple and he began to drive out those who bought and sold in it, saying to them, "It is written, My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves." And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people wanted to destroy him, and were unable to do anything. Why? For all the people were very attentive. To hear him. Now again, remember, he comes in the next day and he's looking, he's going, what are you doing? This is the temple. This is supposed to be where we pray. The church should be a hospital for those that are sick. Not a museum. We have, listen, Calvary Chapel has to be a church for those that are sick. And how many of you like being around sick people? I don't like being around sick people. They're going to get... No, we have to come in. We have to say, come on in. We love you. Why would you love me? Because I was you. I remember what it was like. I love you. Come on in. You're going to find hope and healing. Wow. Wow. So now we have the greatest day in history. And yet, there are some dark days ahead. So fast forward to 2022. Here we are, guys. This is Palm Sunday. We're going to rejoice today. We're going to sing, Blessed He Who Comes in the Name of the Lord. But let me remind you, this is Holy Week. Okay? So today, what happens? It's the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. You and I, we've read the book. We know what's going to happen. But we must remember, the crowd cheers, and Jesus weeps. Tomorrow, guess what happens? Jesus is going to cleanse the temple. Well, you are the temple of the Most High God. He lives in you. Could we take a moment tomorrow and take a look at our temple? And see if there's any money changers in it. Lord. You go, I'm going to do that today. Amen. Tuesday, Jesus goes to where? He goes to the Mount of Olives. Wednesday is called Holy Wednesday. It's a day of rest. Thursday is the Passover and the Last Supper on Maudi. It's called Maudi, M-A-U-D-Y, Thursday, Maudi Thursday. And then on Friday, you have the trial, the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of Jesus. He hung on the cross. On Saturday, Jesus is just resting in the tomb. And Sunday, you have Resurrection Sunday. So it starts off as a great week and then gets dark for a while ends up with a great resurrection. Now, why is this important? Because I liken this to my life. It started out great, and there's, some been, there's been some dark times. There's been some really dark times, but you know what? It ends up great because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Now, as we close today, um, take time this week. Here's, here's your homework. Take time this week to reflect on what is going on with our Savior, Jesus. Take time. Okay, Monday, Tuesday. But I don't want to leave here without some application, okay? So number one, ready? Here's some application. Jesus has impacted everyone. He was for everybody. So the question to you this morning, has Jesus impacted your life?
has he impacted your life? Is there a is there a definite change? Because like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was never the same. And when we meet Jesus for real, he changes things. Would you agree? So you have to ask yourself those serious Lord, Lord, it, it, is there a change? Number two, we talked about the crowd. Those who were cautious when it comes to Jesus and those who had not met Jesus yet. I want to make sure you're not in any of these camps. And if you are, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. Number three application to take home. We're living in the very last days. Don't keep silent. Share the good news with everyone. With everyone. And number four, you guys ready? Take a moment to see if our temples need some cleaning. Where we can confess and we can repent. That's what we need to do. Amen? Father, we thank you today for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you for Palm Sunday. We say, blessed is he who comes. Thank you for coming, Lord. Thank you. You are the God of God and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, Lord, in a few days, a crowd will gather and say, crucify him, crucify him. And Lord, your word doesn't tell us if these are native Judeans or if they're just people on the outside or they're even some of your followers who are, who are just involved in the mob crowd. But I know this, Lord. I know that you're going to die on the cross for my sins. I know, Lord, that, that you are going to get beaten with a cat of nine tails, and you're going to have 39 lashes where your flesh is going to be ripped to shreds. You did that for me. I know they're going to make you carry this 80-pound wooden beam outside the city gate, outside of Jerusalem, up into a place called the skull. And they're going to take some nails, and they're going to nail straight into your wrists, God. And in your feet. And you're going to cry. You're going to cry out to your father saying, why have you forsaken my God? As you took all of our sin and our penalty and everything, Lord, all our judgment upon you. And for a brief still moment, you'll look directly Pass the crowd into the future and you'll see every one of us in whom you're dying for. And then you'll say, I'm going to come back. I'm going to resurrect in three days and, you have, and you're alive today. And all you tell us is that we want to be part of the family of God. All we have to do is open up our heart and invite you inside. That's all we have to do. And many of us in this room, Lord, have done that. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just ask this morning, if you're here today and you've never been impacted by Jesus, you've never fully given your life to him. You've grown up in church, you've not grown up in church, doesn't matter. But you know, you know, you know. And he's knocking on your heart right now ever so gently. And he's saying, I want to come inside. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. Your life hasn't impacted. But today, you're saying, yes, I want Jesus. I want to pray for you. If God has moved in your heart throughout the message and you're feeling like I need to be I need to be right with God. Lord, you brought me here for a reason. This was from you. Then what I want you to do right now with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want you to lift up your hand and say, "Pastor Ben, would you pray for me? I just want to make sure I'm in the family of God. I just want to know that I'm saved. Would you just lift up your hand so I can see you?" 
Would you do that right now? God has been moving, and you're talking to him right now, and you know where you are, and he's asking you to make a change. And all you have to do is lift up your hand. Would you do that for me right now? Just to make sure. Not sure where you are with the Lord, but just saying, okay, Lord, I give you my life. I surrender to you. If you're watching online, or maybe you're listening via podcast or the radio, if you'll just pray this prayer, we say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. And I know that I'm a sinner. And I've fallen so short. And I ask you now, Lord, to forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I repent. I turn from it. I'm going to follow you. But I need help. And that's where I would invite you inside to come and guide me and to live in me and to help me. And I ask that you would be my God and be my Savior. Be my friend, Lord. Because this day, I choose to follow you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, know that the God of the universe has come into your heart. He's going to guide you and you're saved. You're saved. It's a spiritual thing. But now you're part of the family of God. Amen. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.